Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily podcast. And with the football showing absolutely no signs of slowing down over the festive period, we are your guiding light. The light, the guiding light through the sprouts, the small talk, everything that you like and everything that you don't like about Christmas as the Premier League bandwagon rolls on. And it's the Premier League where we start today's show with a look back at last night's action as Chelsea got themselves right back on the winning track with a win at home to West Ham. In part two, we go off to Burnley as Sean Dyche's side beat Wolves at Turf Moor. And then in part three, we're looking to preview tonight's Carabao Cup matches as Arsenal play host to Manchester City and Newcastle go to Brentford. My name's Fergal Brennan and I'm on the record button today. And we also have the gaffer, Jim Salverson. Jim, how are we? I'm all right, Tar. Can I start today's podcast with a hugely controversial statement and say I quite like a sprout? Yeah, small talk. Are you fan of, if you had to pick sprouts or small talk, I hate small talk. So just give me the sprouts. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Bit of a bit of a tip for post Christmas Day lunch as well. Sprout sandwiches. Get your leftover sprouts. Fry what? them in a little bit of butter. Whack them in a oh. sandwich. You you've never lived till you've tried a sprout sandwich. Jim, Jim, Jim. I suppose if if you get <laughs> stuck into horrific. the sp- if you get stuck into the sprouts, you probably avoid the small talk. I suppose it's kind of, they counterbalance yeah. each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, people stay away from you. <laughs> Bit of bacon in there as well, bacon and sprouts. Oh, I mean, I don't eat bacon anymore, but tell you, living uh, the dream. As long as, uh, alongside Jim's very, 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 very strange Christmas recipes, we also have the magpie that loves to tweet. That is Marley Anderson. Marley, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm just glad I've never been invited to Jim's house for uh, Christmas dinner. And also, I, I will never accept if he's going to be sat there chewing on Brussels sprout sandwiches. That is absolutely that is dirty. That, I, I am I am absolutely shocked. It's going to take me a few minutes of the podcast to, to get around that. So let's talk about football and move away from sprouts. Um, rough night to be a hammer, Jim. Chelsea 3, West Ham 1 at Stamford Bridge. Marley, um, we're going to talk about Chelsea first. We'll, we'll go to Jim and West Ham in a minute. But impressive stuff 
from Frank Lampard and his team. You, we spoke about them on the, the show yesterday and saying how they needed this result, back-to-back defeats against Everton and Wolves, and it just seemed to be a little bit stale and, and they needed a little bit of an injection of something. And they definitely got that last night with a brilliant performance, goals and lots of attacking intent. They probably, sorry Jim, close your ears for this bit, they probably could have had four, five, maybe even more. I think we were watching a completely different game, Fergal. Really? I Yeah, I didn't think that at all from Chelsea last night. I thought Chelsea... I mean, I, I didn't think either team were particularly impressive, but I certainly didn't think Chelsea offered the same attacking threat as maybe I expected them to. And I'd even argue that maybe West Ham had the best of the game for a large portion, albeit that they failed to get much of a shot on target in fact I don't think they had a shot on target during the entire game bar the ruled out goals that were offside so I I don't think I'm not too disheartened after last night from a West Ham point of view I'm actually quite pleased and I think the, the reason I'm pleased is because it showed a different side of West Ham and a side of West Ham that we've been lacking for a couple of seasons firstly there wasn't a complete collapse after the first goal which has been a hallmark of West Ham performances for the last half a decade we lose an early goal and that's it that's it game over everyone downs tools and it's a panic for the rest of the game but secondly I think there was a certain tactical um, I can't think of the right word I'm looking for but I think David Moyes approached it quite well from a tactical point of view and I think he had the right approach to the game but the wrong players which is a bit of an issue at West Ham at the moment because the squad is so threadbare he doesn't have the the ability he needs in that squad to execute the game plan that he wants to set out but I think the way West Ham set up in terms of putting in a very defensive looking three-man midfield with Suchek and Rice and Noble kind of to stop that Chelsea attack worked really well the problem being Noble doesn't really have the legs and we weren't able to get forward in the same way and likewise Alair up front as the kind of sole front man looked very very isolated because of that three man midfield but I think with different personnel if Antonio had been fit I think it could have been a very different story but yeah I mean Chelsea probably deserved their win just they didn't deserve to win by three goals but they deserved their win um, I'm terrified now. I'm going to get a sprout in the post from Jim. That's instead of a bullet, a Christmas, a Christmas sprout in the post. Um, Timo Werner was a bit of a frustrated figure last night. Marley's impressed in patches since he's, he's made the move to Chelsea, and he had two good chances last night. Fabianski made a save, and then he nearly took Fabianski's head off with a drive just before the end, which hit the post and the bar, and and just. You just get the sense with him that he, he needs a little bit of a run, a goal or a couple of goals. And he looks like he's got absolutely everything to be an excellent Premier League striker. I know he's playing slightly off the number nine at the moment, but as impressive as Lampard would have been with him last night, you get the sense that he still wants a bit more from him. Yeah, I think um, it is a bit of a conundrum, but I think you know Lampard said last night that I think he's got more settling to do and there's a lot more to come from him and I'd be inclined to agree because we've seen what he can do in Germany and it's not that dissimilar to to the English league it's probably the one around Europe that's probably the most similar like in Spain it's a bit more possession based in Germany it's a bit more direct you would think uh, just a little bit a little bit more like the Premier League so I think when he does settle in I think he's he's doing the right things he's making runs he's scaring up op- uh, opposition with his his movement and obviously his pace um, Lampard's accommodated him slightly I think he started the first four or five games up front in the number nine role didn't quite get it and I think that was down to um, his teammates because I watched I remember watched Chelsea a couple of times in 
in um, in specific the game against Liverpool earlier in the season where every time a midfielder gets the ball he's on the shoulder of the defender and that's how he played at Leipzig and that's practically how they they got the best out of him and got 20-25 goals a season out of him because they just bumped it in behind and he was you know his, his electric pace just took him uh, straight through on goal a lot of times um, and he scored like that and Chelsea weren't quite, quite used to that they're a bit more um, possession based in the build up and a bit more patient um, and it wasn't quite clicking for Werner so that's I think when, when he moved to the left that it was more so he could use his pace from a bit of a deeper position if the front man can hold it up and, and has his back to goal you've got Werner running past him you know inside the full back which is traditionally a little bit weaker defensively than, than centre back so I think He's he's doing well. I think he's not. You know, people want to say, "Oh, he's a flop," but it's too early for that. I think he's doing the right things. He's scored a couple of goals. Um, I think when he goes on a run, he'll be he'll still be very very good player. I think compared to like Havertz, who's completely struggled in in getting in the team and doing anything when he's in the team. I think of the two of them. You know, he's he's got the the he's closer to where he was at his previous club kind of thing. So. I don't think it's um, it's something to worry about for Chelsea fans because at the end of the day, you know, I think the the difference between the two teams yesterday was Chelsea have three genuine and four if you include um, if you include like Pulisic, they've got three or four genuine goal scorers who who are clinical and they will they will score when they get the chance and I think obviously when you West Ham you've got to try and you know take your chances you're the underdog you've got to take your chances when they come because they don't come too often Chelsea are always going to have two or three at least um, and that's, that's what you seen last night Abraham was was uh, you know poached a couple of goals and uh, City didn't have the City uh, West Ham didn't have the possession to to sort of hurt Chelsea the same way they could hurt mm-hmm. uh, West Ham so I think you, you're just seen it there it's just a difference of quality in the, in the, in the uh, attacking department I think I think Jim, with Werner sorry. as well. So I think with Werner as well, it's important to remember that he contributes more to that Chelsea side than just goals. Well, he's not contributing goals and assists at the moment. But that's kind of where we are in terms of how football is perceived nowadays because of things like fancy football and social media. It's all about goals and assists and the big moments. But he's a constant threat for that Chelsea side he occupies defenders and he generates space for the other attackers in that formation so although Werner isn't scoring goals at the moment and I agree it's probably just a matter of confidence it's just a matter of getting a couple of goals under his belt in a bit of a run and he will go on to score a a, a fair few but I, I think he does contribute to that Chelsea side outside of just the stats Jim, obviously, as Marley touched on there, someone that did get on the score sheet was Tammy Abraham. His first goal or goals in a, in a month. And the two finishes came about in a very number nine-esque fashion, both inside the box, a little bit scrappy. I think he got fortunate with his first. And then the second goal, the third one for Chelsea, was a bit of a melee in the West Ham box. But mm. he's had a tough start to the season, a couple of minor injuries. That's allowed Olivier Giroud to come into the team, who's staked his claim and, and reminded Lampard just exactly what he's all about. It looks like it's going to be a straight shootout between the two of them now because of Werner and Havertz and Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech, who's, who's going to come back from injury soon. There only really seems to be one place for a central striker and this type of a performance will give him a lot of confidence and he'll now be in a position to say to Giroud, well, if you want to be the number nine, I'm going to chase you every inch of the way. 
I think it puts Lampard in a brilliant position, doesn't it? Because we're going into this really heavy Christmas schedule and obviously they've got Champions League games ahead of that to look at and he's got two strikers who are banging form and it's exactly what he wants. Personally, I think I would have gone with Giroud last night looking at that game. If you, if you focused on that game as an individual game, as one game isolated, you'd put Giroud in because I think Chelsea kind of needed that focal point to hold the ball up and bring in the wider players into play last night and I think that would have really hurt West Ham as it happened Abraham got his two goals but they were almost when the game was almost a bit dead and buried and West Ham had brought on a few more offensive players so maybe weren't offering the protection to the back four they were previously and they were your archetypal poachers goals where you have to be in the right place at the right time and he was in the right place at the right time but at the same time, it would be easier to miss. So I think, I mean, it's a great situation for Chelsea to be in. He's got two players. I thought it was quite harsh when Abraham kind of lost his position in the team because he has consistently performed for Chelsea over the last 18 months. But yeah, great position for them to be in. Two strikers who are bang in form and both opposite ends of their career as well. So Giroud's going to be perfectly happy not to play every single game over the Christmas period and they've got perfect backup in Abraham. Marley, Christian Pulisic, um, another excellent performance from him last night and we're slowly getting used to actually watching him with the ball at his feet rather than him shouting, hey man, or or whatever that seems to be caught on the, the television cameras during the game. And he started out wide and, and drifted into the middle and he had a hand in both of Abraham's goals. Given the fact that Havertz hasn't quite really slotted in yet and he's still finding his feet in English football, do you think that maybe could be an option for Lampard? Because against teams that are going to be very compact in the middle of the pitch, you need someone with pace that can carry the ball through the through the central area. And Pulisic showed last night that he can do that. He's not just a, a tricky winger that can, can, put, can put a cross into the box. Yeah, I think um, Pulisic impresses me every time I see him play when he's fully fit because I almost... I, I sometimes... I'm guilty, I don't know if anyone else is, but I'm sometimes guilty of thinking he's just got pace um, and he's just, you know, his touch is a bit poor and he's not very creative, but then you see him play for 90 minutes and he's got the touch to match the pace. He's not like somebody who, who sort of kicks it and runs. He, he can, his he, speed with the ball at his feet, he can keep mm. such tight control of it. I think he's, he's the closest thing to Eden Hazard that I think Chelsea could have got and that's probably one of the reasons why they got him he plays in the same position you know has a has a goal threat that he's proved um, and he was yeah he was excellent last night again and I think when when Chelsea have got that much pace when you've got that much pace on e- either wing it creates so much more in the middle for, for your number 10 and for your your centre forward to go and you know get get goals from um, different different sort of avenues either crosses and arriving late into the box to because one of your wingers has gone down the wing at, at lightning speed, or you can, um, or something else where you've you've kind of like you've gone beyond the winger if he's dropped deep because everyone's expecting him to go in behind. So it gives Chelsea so many options. And Pulisic is as, as soon as he's over that hamstring injury, which obviously now he looks like he's he's over. Um, he can turn in performances like that, and I think they're the type of performances you need to break down a team that aren't gonna aren't gonna come and you know, really go for you. They're not good. They're going to keep it tight and you've got to use pace to, to scare them and to um, to create openings, which, which Pulisic did last night. And I think, you know, I think it was the first goal he was involved in when he nicked it away from uh, from Balbuena, was it? Oh, sorry, no, it was, uh, it was Werner's chance where he hit the goalkeeper. 
Um, it was one of them where he, he was just too quick for the defender. I think it was Balbuena. And all Balbuena should have done is just shouldered him in the next week. But he, he didn't. He let him go and it ended up with uh, what should what should have been a goal for Chelsea. But it's those types of things. Like When when you've got someone running at you that fast, you, you get scared and you think, I, I, won't, I might not take him out because I might get a red card because he's going so fast that the collision from Balbuena might have just had him sent off. Um, so he was he was thinking he was double thinking himself when he was going into that challenge, and it's that's that's what type of pace, uh, type of decisions pace can can force from defenders. So I think he's um, he's an excellent player, I and mean, he's he's something like was he twenty one, twenty two years old, which is scary really. So I just hope he doesn't get these hamstring injuries all the time, and it uh, it robs us of of seeing what a player we could become. Mm-hmm. A uh, George Orwell moment from Christian Pulisic there would double think. Uh, Jim, given the fact that West Ham, as you say, they set up to try and look to stiffen the midfield and, and make things difficult for Chelsea. Mark Noble was one of the changes that came in uh, last night. This is his 17th season for, for West Ham. He's club captain. He's been club captain for the best part of a decade. But something that flagged up for me last night, as good as he is on the ball, as, as you mentioned before, when there's not legs around him or he's got players running off him, he can find things difficult. And I didn't actually realise, someone mentioned this on Twitter, that his contract's actually up at the end of the season. And despite the fact that he's had such a long service for West Ham and he's he's an icon at the club what does the future hold for him if, if the injuries start to rack up and obviously Declan Rice is established in that midfield now Thomas Suchek looks like a really handy player next to him where, where does Mark Noble go from here I think it's a very sad statement to make but I don't think Mark Noble is Premier League quality <clears throat> anymore and I certainly don't think he's the quality midfielder that West Ham aspire to having. The West Ham fan base is a funny one because on one hand they're constantly demanding that he gets a contract extension and that he get handed the manager's position at some point in the future but at the same time the second he got picked by David Moyes last night in that midfield three there was outcry and Moyes doesn't know what he's doing kind of statements flying around on Twitter so there's there's a really difficult political game to play for West Ham in terms of the future of Mark Noble, but I think his playing days are probably over in Claret and Blue come the end of this season. I'd love to see him involved in the club in some way. I think he is doing his coaching badges. So whether it's in the short term he moves into a coaching role, whether he plays one more season elsewhere, then comes back to the club, maybe goes to America, I don't know. But I mean, he's been a massively loyal servant to the club. But when you look at the other options that are available in midfield, in Suchek and Declan Rice, who ultimately are the two players in normal circumstances he'd have to move out of that squad in order to get game time I think probably there are better options elsewhere and that's not even counting some of the young players that are coming through the academy as well so I think I think last night outlined for me probably one of the reasons why Mark Noble isn't getting a lot of game time at the moment and I can't see him getting a playing contract come the end of the season yeah very interesting if there's one player if there's one player I can't Imagine going to America. It's Mark Noble. <laughs> selling, selling jelly deals. I just can't see it catching on. Yeah. Excuse me, mate. Where's your, where's your jelly deals around here? Mate, you're in California. No. You're telling me I can't get a jelly deal? I, no, I, no I, I agree with Marley on that. It is obviously one that West Ham fans are going to keep an eye on. Um, six months left on his contract. But he, as Jim says, he's he's been an absolute icon for the club. But, you know, we kind of all have to say goodbye at some stage. And uh, on that note, we're going to say goodbye for part one, gents. Can I, I just say, before we move on, on because I think there's one on. important thing to say about Chelsea, because I've backed Chelsea and they were kind of my outside pick 
for the title at the beginning of this season. I was like, I think they're worth a bit of a punt. But having seen them last night, I think what I saw last night against West Ham, even though they won 3-0, was exactly the reasons they won't win the title. Because I don't think yet they're cohesive enough as a football team. I think there's a little bit more bedding in to do. And we saw it time and time again going forward with some disjointed play from the forwards. But mostly at the back, there were attempts constantly from Chelsea to kind of play out from the back. And they just couldn't cope with the West Ham press. And West Ham aren't a fast-pressing team. But the fact they were being forced into making some quite simple mistakes at the back, and I know they were without Reese James and Chilwell went off injured. But I think that togetherness, that cohesiveness of the team isn't there yet. Undoubtedly, huge amounts of talent right the way through that Chelsea team. But I think this season they'll be just off the pace and next season is when they're going to be a real threat. Right, that's where we are going to take a break. Chelsea, yeah, with Mark, now. <laughs> Chelsea with Mark Noble in their ranks next season are going to win the Premier League. After the break, <laughs> it's uh, Burnley against Wolves. Sean Dyche's side picking up another home win in the pouring, pouring rain in Lancashire. We'll catch you in a minute. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily podcast. Before the break, we talked about the London derby, the Tier 4 derby, as West Ham lost at Chelsea. Now we're going to scooch on up to Lancashire. Burnley 2, Wolves 1 last night. Jim, if you hadn't placed the cliche bell into lockdown, I think I'd be breaking it at the moment because this one had absolutely everything. It was cold. It was raining. It was biblical rain at Turf Moor last night. And Burnley gone a Burnley. Burnley did a Burnley, Marley. This was, we chatted about this on the show yesterday, previewing the game. Everything looked geared for Burnley. Sean Dyche would have been licking his lips, watching the weather. He recorded the weather. Um, and everything went for Burnley last night. They needed a bit of a result to, to get a bit of confidence back into them. But if ever there was a situation that Sean Dyche would have wanted, it was last night. And, and they did exactly that. Three points on the board and out of the relegation zone. Yes, it was exactly what, what they needed. And um, I think, like you said, everything suited them. The way, you know, the way Wolves play, the form they're in, even though they won last time out, they haven't looked, uh, they haven't well, looked too sort of scary Jimenez being missing obviously um, it was it was, it was the ultimate cliche wasn't it can you do it on a cold Monday night at, at Burnley at Turf Moor and you know I was thinking last night a bunch of Portuguese lads don't grow up you know wanting to play in the Premier League because they want to play Turf Moor away from home it's that it's that fixture where you think oh god like, we've got to go there um, they're going to beat us up, they're going to be direct, they're going to challenge for everything, you're going to come away hurting, um, you're going to take a couple of days on the training ground to recover and ice packs all over you because you've been battered from pillar to post by wooden barns up front. And it's exactly what happened, they were, you know, they they defended poorly Wolves um, over and over again, I think they, sh- they should have scored early on when Nick Pope had a goal kick and he almost got an assist because I think he sent through, I think it was Barnes and Patricio had to, had to make a really good save, but it, from then on, it was like, right, it's coming now because if you're not defending that early on, it, it just sort of proves that you're not really up for the game, you're not really fancying it. And from then on, I, I was, you know, expecting Burnley to go on and and get the points, and they duly did. And I think it was, it's that kind of game where Burnley are always going to win because they've got more experience of, of playing scrappy, sort of making it a bit ugly for the opposition and and drowning them in their 
their unique style, which is, you know, gets a lot of detractors and me being one of them. But as I've said before, <laughs> it, it works. It works at times. Like, you know, an 18-year-old Fabio Silva, a 20-year-old um, Pedro Neto, these kids don't want to get smashed up uh, into next week by James Tarkovsky coming in on a, a sliding wet turf moor and getting an ankle breaker. They're going to pull out of every challenge. They're not going to challenge for headers up up front. And I think that's where they really missed Jimenez because if you are going to mix it with with Burnley, you need your big lads to do it. And they haven't didn't have one up, up front last night. Pedro Neto and Podence played up front. I mean, mm. five foot three and five foot eight tricky wingers. They're not the style of of player you need to to go and beat Burnley because you're not going to be able to play their football uh, the nice football all the time they are going to make the pitch small the pitch is small anyway they're going to be compact there's not going to be much space in behind you need a lot of movement Um, and I think Santos said afterwards we didn't move enough we didn't um, we were too static with our our, we we passed it and we stopped we didn't move and that's you're just playing into Burnley's hands from then on so I'm not surprised uh, Burnley got the win Jim obviously Marley makes a good point, this idea of you know what you're going to get from Burnley. They're going to be physical. They're going to get direct balls into the box. And Santo selected his team based on that. He played uh, Owen Otazawi, who got his first Premier League start. Connor Cody, Ruben Neves is a big lad. Roman Seiss likes to put it about a bit. When you've got players like that up against a team like Burnley, you've obviously gone, listen, we can't be all pretty at the front and then just let it go at the back. We've got to match them physically. But the Mm. goals that Burnley scored, Barnes and Ward got, atypical Barnes and Wood goals they're the defenders sorry they're the players for me that let Wolves down it wasn't Silva and Neto up top who who struggled to make an impact when you're in a position of saying I know what we're going to get from Burnley these are big lads these are lads over six foot that are getting beat from corners beat from set pieces getting out for out battled and particularly Sice when you look back at the goals both goals he turns his back on the ball and loses Barnes and then loses Wood for the second one so I think Marley makes a good point that you have to be careful with your selection, but I don't think Santo got it completely wrong. I think certain players in certain areas of the pitch need to have a bit of a look at themselves. It wasn't the greatest Wolves performance, and we've said that a lot this season. There seems to be something that is slightly off in that Wolves camp at the moment. That means they're not putting in the performances that we've been used to over the previous 12 months. But, I mean, yeah, they they did cover themselves in glory last night in any area of the pitch but I think you've got to give credit to Burnley because we know when Burnley play like Burnley play and when they do it they do it well and it's an incredibly difficult thing to defend against they are a big strong team they chuck balls into the box and sooner or later it's a relentless like a war of attrition that you're waiting for a defender to make a mistake and waiting for either Chris Woods or Ashley Barnes to kind of get a toe or get a knee or get a head on something and it ends up going in. But I think we do need to give credit to Burnley because they are looking like the Burnley that they have looked like in the previous seasons, which hasn't always been the case so far this year. I think there's been something a little bit lacking up at Turf Moor, but it seems to be almost like since Ben Mee came back into the team, there seems to have been a bit of a change of form and they've got that James Trokoski and Ben Mee at the back that seems to have given them that defensive basis of which they can go and build their attacks on, their limited attacks on. So I think, yeah, Burnley defenders, sorry, Wolves defenders won't be happy with the way they played last night and there were mistakes in those goals, but at the same time, you've got to give credit to Burnley for continuously putting pressure on those defenders and ultimately forcing those mistakes. 
Marley, you touched on Fabio Silva and, and the missing or the absence of, of Raul Jimenez. Santo was selective about when he brought him on. Him and Traore came on with, with half an hour to go. I felt a bit sorry for him. That lovely long hair in the rain, it was absolutely ruined. But we saw a situation with, with Traore and he had such a good link-up with, with Jimenez last season where he'd get the ball, check, go down the right, drop a ball into the box and, and Jimenez had head it in. And he tried that a couple of times with Silva last night and it just didn't work. That's, that's not Silva's game. I think as well as the goals that Jimenez offers and he's got a really good record against Burnley and the Burnleys of the Premier League, it's also the positions that he that he drags Wolves into um, that they miss as much as the goals because at the moment now, Podence, Neto, Traore when he comes on and they're looking to put balls into the box. There's not someone there. Silver is doing his best, but he's not that style of striker. Yeah, and that's what um, he either needs to be or he needs to... Or Wolves need to, you know, find something else um, in in terms of a way of playing. But the quicker route to that is to get Fabio Silva to use his um, his physicality because he's not he's not small. He's I think he's six foot tall, one meter eighty five. He is. I'm just looking on. It's quite a slight, isn't he? Though. Yeah. Yeah. He's but he looks like an eighteen year old. Doesn't he? He looks like a yeah. the, the sort of lad who he's not got into his his adult weight kind of thing. He needs to fill out a bit. Um, you remember Cristiano Ronaldo when he came to. To England and he was a bag of tricks and he built like a pipe cleaner, wasn't he? But Fabio Silva is, you know, he's a bit, bit bigger and a bit sort of, he's got the potential to be in a, a bit of a beast. Um, but he, he, that's that's a long way away. He needs to be in the gym. You look at how Jimenez is built and you can't, you won't push him off the ball if if you uh, go shoulder to shoulder with him. So Fabio needs, to, I think it's, he's the perfect man to learn from as well. If Jimenez mm. is in the, uh, if if once Jimenez gets back fit again, if uh, it went off after his uh, obviously horrible head injury, but you know it's literally perfect. They're built the same, um, but Jimenez has got that um, that nous, and he knows where the ball's going to drop. He knows, and he's clinical when he gets it. Um, yeah, perfect to to learn from. So Fabio's got obviously he's come in for a big fee, and I've given a bit of stick on the podcast. Uh, I don't think it's his fault, by the way. The the fee, um, it's just the. You know, that's how the market is. You're only worth what someone's willing to pay for you, I suppose. But I don't think the intention was to play him this season. I think that's the challenge he's got. <laughs> I don't. I know. He, I know he cost what 40, 40 million or whatever it was. But I think he was definitely earmarked as one for the future. And Wolves have been incredibly unlucky. Not so unlucky that they lost Jota, but they've lost Jota and Jimenez in one season. There aren't many teams in the Premier League that could cope with losing two players of that quality. And so he's kind of been forced into action. And Yes, he's got a huge price tag and so you should expect a little bit more from him. But at the same time, I think he is a young player who is going to need time to adapt in the Premier League. That's why it surprised me, though, that, that they, they didn't go out and sign... You know, you said there they've lost two strikers and they've gone out and signed one. Like, that's a, a, a net... But they were expecting to lose him as well. ...of minus one. Yeah, but the injuries always happen. So should you not be... You know, if you are... Let's take let's rule out him and his injury. You've took out Jota and you're you're putting in Fabio Silva, who you're not. If 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 you're right in what you say, you are not expecting anything from Fabio Silva. So you've replaced a guy who plays mm-hmm. every game in Jota, either from the bench or from the wing or starting up front, with um, with him and his, and you've replaced him with a guy who you're not expecting to to break through this season, and that's that's poor. Like if if that's what you're expecting of Fabio then you should have another striker 
maybe on loan or something that you can well, they've brought in Daniel Podence to really him. replace Yotta haven't they Daniel Podence was yeah. brought in as kind of that to play in that kind of position I kind of see what Wolves are doing and then it's a difficult situation they're in because do they they, they lost they lost Jota and they weren't expected to lose Jimenez so do they bring in another striker who is going to be upset disappointed that he's second fiddle to Raul Jimenez and then you've got Silva who doesn't get any game time doesn't get that time to adapt to the Premier League doesn't get those like 20 minutes at the end of games or Carabao Cup competitions or whatever it is because that's the kind of game that's the kind of experience that he needs or needed this season in order to be ready for next season but I think I think Silva will be a good player I just think he just needs that time I think when you rack the two of them up against each other and yeah Jota was very good for Wolves and he was important to the way that they played but I think we're looking at this through Liverpool tinted uh, spectacles because he's been so good since he's moved there I, I actually think that Daniel Podence is a better player I definitely think, I think he's got a higher ceiling than Jota I know Jota is talented and he, and he deserved that move to Liverpool but I look at the way Podence plays there's, there's something Hazard-esque about him the way he runs the way he carries the mm. ball I think Jimenez I like is in, Jimenez's injury for me is actually bigger Jimenez is the bigger loss because you can be creative and you can make things happen but time and time again for a team in Wolves' position in the Premier League table you need a goal scorer they are absolute gold dust they are rocking horse uh, doo-doo they are, <laughs> they are they are absolutely that's that's what they are um, as for Fabio Silva Jim I think the, the solution is staring us right in the face we're, we're dancing around the issue here Fabio, Fabio Silva needs to put a bit of chunk on put a few pounds on he was in pie country last night. Sean Dyche is well-versed in getting strikers to be nice and physical. Why not leave him overnight, leave him for there for a few weeks, <laughs> get him on a Sean Dyche diet and then send him back? What do you think? Perfect solution. Perfect solution. I mean, what I don't get about last night's selection is that if Wolves did need a little bit of muscle, a little bit of weight up front, why Adama Traore didn't start that game? Because The biggest man in Europe. Muscle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I don't really... I mean, he seems to have been very sparingly used by um, Nuno Espirito Santo this season. So I don't know whether there's some problem, whether he's not impressing in training. He hasn't looked brilliant when he has played for Wolves, but he's been played largely out of position, so it's not entirely his fault. But I think he, that would have been the perfect game for him to start in, to provide that. And he's not, he's not the type of player that is going to hold the ball up for you. But man, if you want a physical player, Adama Traore is your man, right? Yeah, and I think Nuno Santos is a brave man. Imagine in training saying to him, now listen, Adama, this weekend, it's not for you. And imagine, as you say with Burnley, saying to him, look, this isn't your kind of game, is it? You know, cold night in Lancashire, you'll just get bullied out of it. Burnley must have been absolutely licking the lips at the prospect of him not playing. Or potentially with mm. the uh, blockade in uh, Dover at the moment, maybe body grease supplies have been cut and that's why they're not playing him at the <laughs> moment. Uh, guys, we're going to call it there for part two. After the break, it's Carabao Cup, Marley and myself's time to Yay. shine as Arsenal, <laughs> as Arsenal take on Manchester City and Newcastle go to Brentford. We'll catch you in a minute. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily podcast. Before the break, it was all about the Premier League. Now we're going to the Carabao Cup, the EFL Cup, depending on how you want to phrase it. Arsenal against Manchester City is the eye-catcher from tonight. Sorry, Marley, whose Newcastle side take on Brentford. 
depressing, depressing times to be an Arsenal fan at the moment, Jim. And injuries and, and lack of form and Mikel Arteta just looking like a, a guy who's at a permanent funeral isn't really helping. Um, he's expected to rotate, as as is the situation in the EFL Cup, but no Aubameyang, no Shaka, which is probably a good thing, and no Thomas Partey tonight. He is going to play the kids. And in the Europa League this season, we've seen that you know the kids are all right. That was the case last season. And with Arteta, my feeling with him is he is better suited to this situation. He likes a one-off game. He likes the Cups. Obviously, we won the FA Cup at the back end of last season. When he's given a situation to, to win the 90 minutes in front of him, I'm confident. It's when he's got five or six 90 minutes in front of him that I start to lose a bit of faith. I wonder who this game is more important for. And I think that could potentially influence... Who wins this game? I think in terms of Arsenal and Arteta, it's probably not going to really make much difference to Arteta's season if he gets to a semi-final of the Carabao Cup. I think for Manchester City and Pep Guardiola, it is now their cup to lose. They've got such heritage in getting deep into this competition that surely he's going to want to win it again, which I think could have a real impact on how the game pans out. The interesting thing for me for Arsenal, as you say, is there's these big players missing, Aubameyang and Zaka and Partey are all out, which could be hugely beneficial for Arsenal because none of those players have particularly performed this season. <laughs> and I think it would be sensible. I mean, I've been saying for a while, there's plenty of decent young talent at Arsenal. If your big players aren't performing, why not bring in the young players? So the young players that are coming in on rotation are going to have a real belief that they can make an impact in this game. And that if they do make an impact against Manchester City, they've got a potential of making that spot, that starting place theirs, which I think has got to benefit Arsenal going into this game, hasn't it? I mean, I don't think they're going to win, <laughs> but if, there's a, if, if there was ever going to be a, a time for young players to step up in that Arsenal squad, it's against Manchester City in the Carabao Cup. Yeah, that, that, uh, do you know what? They should nail nail that message to the wall in the dressing room tonight before they go out. Marley, Arteta does have a good record against his old team. He won in the, um, obviously beat them in the FA Cup semi-final and that, that was kind of his big result, even arguably more than beating Chelsea in the final. Given the fact that City distracted, they're focusing on getting themselves back in the Champions League and Arsenal have been so bad in the Premier League. I want a break from the Premier League. I want a break from the fact that we could be in the bottom three uh, going into 2020. Oh, God, that's just giving me a shudder saying that. But <laughs> um, it has, honestly, that has just given me a shudder. Um, given the direction that Arsenal are going in, they need something. They need something to almost to take their minds off it. Yeah, I think um, you, you probably raise a good point there. And you look at Arsenal's midweek form. I think the last time they lost in midweek is quite a long time ago, isn't it? I think... Um, they came through the Europa League easily. I think they won six out of six in that. Um, and yeah, they've obviously doing well in the in the cup. And I think they'll be buoyed by the last time they played Man City in a knockout fixture was the FA Cup, and they they put them out in the semi-finals. They got the tactics uh, spot on with the the directness and the pace of Aubameyang, which is obviously missing tonight. And I know you're asking a lot to do it again, especially the way they're, they're playing, but. It's it's almost a free hit. No one's expecting Arsenal to go and win tonight. Um, it could be a turning point. If they manage to pull this off, it could be a massive turning point in the season. Um, but 
it's it's easier said than done. It's a tough task to beat Man City, especially in the uh, the Manchester City League Cup, which has it's been known as the last three or four years they've won it at a canter, really. So um, I think obviously 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 City are favourites and uh, and probably rightly so. But like you say, it could be it could be the start of something. You you can't write it off before you before you start. And if if the players are still pulling for Arteta, then you might see something tonight. But there's been rumours of things not quite, you know, being right behind the scenes at Arsenal. And if if that is true, then it wouldn't be surprised to see Man City properly do a job on Arsenal tonight. And uh, it might be a painful night for you, Fergal, if that is the case. Right. I've, what kind I... of impact do you think it would have, Fergal? I mean, there's two <laughs> scenarios here. So Arsenal go out and win, go and beat Manchester City. And is that going to do Arteta any favours in terms of his long-term future at the club? Say you are in the bottom three at Christmas. Is the fact that you've got through to the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup really going to do him any favours there? The other scenario is that Arsenal get absolutely tonked in this game. Again, is that going to reflect badly on on Arteta and on Arsenal because it is just the Carabao Cup and because he is going to be rotating his squad? I think it's probably somewhere in between the two. I'm not going to say that I don't care about this. In a normal situation, if we were pushing for Europa or pushing for top four, I'd be really interested and really excited about how this game's going to go tonight. But I think at the moment, based on the Europa League and the way that that's gone, the group stages, there's two Arsenal teams at the moment. There's Arsenal A and Arsenal B. And I don't necessarily mean that A is better than B. I just mean that they seem like two different teams, almost two different clubs at times. Um Ultimately, it's going to be the Premier League form that decides what happens with, with Mikel Arteta. And I'm not underestimating the situation that we find ourselves in. We've got Chelsea on Boxing Day and given the way they played last night um, against West Ham, I think they could tear Arsenal to bits. And there is a very, very realistic um, situation where we could be in the relegation zone going into 2021, which I know everyone likes to laugh at Arsenal fans. And I'm the first one to do it because a lot of them are absolutely unbearable. But... Arsenal Arsenal Football Club should not be in the bottom three of the Premier League. It is an absolute disgrace mm. if it happens. But all the blame can't be laid at Arteta's door. There's been issues in the club. There's been issues in the playing staff since before he arrived. And there's still so many questions that haven't been answered. And to lay this amount of blame on his door is unfair. But ultimately, the nature of football is that the, that the manager falls on his sword he, he'll he be the first one to go he, he'll he probably be out of the club before Mesut Ozil is out of the club let's let's put it that way um, so I think it's it's going to be a difficult night but ultimately the bread and butter of the Premier League will decide his future and, uh, and Arsenal's future um, right you've made me sweat Marley it's your time now <laughs> Brentford <laughs> New, Brentford against Newcastle on paper this looks like a bit of a bit of a doozy for Newcastle a championship side in the quarterfinals chance to get into the first semi-final since 1976 um Newcastle famously have had a terrible record in, in the in the cup competitions both FA Cup and assorted assorted sponsorship cup how do you see this one going tonight given the fact that Bruce is going to rotate. Obviously, there's still the ongoing issue of of COVID um, nineteen infections at the training ground, and um, Saint Maximin and Lascelles are both out because they're suffering from the effects of long term COVID. Does he roll the dice and go strong on this because you're doing okay in the Premier League, or do you want to just keep focusing on on the the bread and butter? Uh, I'd, well, I want to focus on trying to win games. To be honest, um, I think good policy. If you, 
Yeah, if you didn't go for this game, then you're an idiot. Um, you're in the quarterfinals of a of a cup, for God's sake. I mean, go and go and try and get something. You know, um, you're playing a championship team. You couldn't ask for an easier run than we've had. Like it, to this point, it's just it's so we've not beaten anyone decent um, over this over this little EFL Cup run. And we've we've struggled to to get through, but we we're, we're here now, and it's it's like right, okay, let's let's go and see what you can do. Then when when there's a bit of pressure on, there's actually a good cup run at the end of it. Um, not saying we're going to win it by any chance, but then Brentford are Brentford are the worst possible side you could play. I think they've put three three um, Premier League teams out on the way to this, and they're all. I can't remember who they were, but they're all better teams than us, almost undoubtedly, because Southampton, West Brom and Fulham. They're really strong at home, Brentford, as well. Yeah, I mean, they've knocked out Southampton this season. We all know how well they're playing. Obviously, West Brom's a bit different, but Fulham, even Fulham, the way they play, the sort of style they play is a, a harder style to face than what we play. Um, because... Brentford will I mean they're on a 13 game unbeaten run at the minute um, so the confidence is through the roof they're in the right period, uh, right part of the championship table I think the fourth at the minute um, looking to get automatic promotion like they missed out on last season they ended up losing in the playoff final um, and we're unlucky to do that um, but yeah, it's got it's got disaster written all over it for me. I, I can't see us going in and coming up with a solution. I can see can see us going there and, and getting surprised by how Brentford how good Brentford are. Um, and that's not something you should get surprised by if you're a professional football club at, at a high level. I think you should you should do your research. You should know that Brentford keep possession and they're very good with it and they're dynamic and they they get goals from everywhere. You should know that Ivan Tony has been one of the best. Um, Football league goal scorers for about two or three years now. Um, Didn't he used to play for Newcastle? Enough, it, it was New, yep. it was Newcastle that let him go. Yeah, we we sold him, and to be fair, it was the right decision at the time because he was never going to get a look in at Newcastle. Um, so I think we sold him for Peterborough for about like just under two million, and he scored a lot of goals for them. Then he got a move to to Brentford when they sold Watkins to um, to Aston Villa, but. It was one of them where he had the potential. He was just he was either going to get loaned out year after year, or you, you let him go and have a have a proper crack at things. And obviously, with our business model, we didn't put a um, well, we we put a, a small uh, percentage selling on fee. So I think I think we got three and a half million from it in the summer or something like that. But still, it's pennies if he goes and knocks you out the chair, the <laughs> uh, the league cup tonight. It's a, it's a small price, isn't it? So I think. I'm not optimistic at all. The way we played against Fulham um, at the weekend, we were we were awful, and um, the the way Brentford play is kind of similar. Probably not as possession based, but um, still a very dangerous team, especially at home in the new stadium and things like that. I think it's got uh, a recipe for disaster written all over it. To be honest, right, Jim call this for us who is going to be in the last four tomorrow is it going to be Arsenal or Manchester City or Brentford or Newcastle Manchester City just because they own the League Cup I'm sure there's some kind of <laughs> arrangement they've made with the sponsors and yeah and Arsenal just are at the races at the moment and I don't think 
with the fixtures that are coming up, I don't think Arteta is going to be putting too much emphasis on getting through the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup. As much as it could take the pressure off, I just don't think that's where his focus is going to be. He's going to want to not be in that bottom three come Christmas. And Brentford versus Newcastle, it's tough to call, but as Marley said, Brentford are flying at the moment. Even Tony's got 20 goals in... Sorry, 16 goals in 20 games. So he's on form and it's not often you see a championship team the favourites going into a game against the Premier League team but that's exactly where Brentford find themselves so I think we're going to see them go through to the next round of the Carabao Oh Marley are you going to back <coughs> back the blue uh, black and white stripes Um, I, my obviously I want my team to go through but I can't I can't I can't see it I can't back it with, with the way Bruce is and the the ineptitude he's shown over the last season, I just don't think he's got enough about him to to play um, a, the the way that requires the way that he's required to beat a team like Brentford. So I think Brentford will beat us, um, maybe on penalties at the worst, um, if they don't handle us quite easily in ninety minutes. And um, I, I'm full agreement with Jim to be honest I think Man City will uh, will do a job on Arsenal even though neither team's at the best but I mean Arsenal are, are the exact opposite of where they should be whereas Man City are probably two or three gears off the top but I think even City in second gear can beat uh, can beat the Arsenal the way they're playing at the minute so Arsenal and um, Man City and Brentford for me to go through tonight I think um, and the double on the on the betting will pay quite nicely as well because of Brentford being not quite the favourite, um, being the slight favourites, but still a decent odds to uh, to go and knock out Newcastle. Right, I'm going to. Do you know the, the, when the, the? Do you know when the last time Newcastle reached the semi final of the League Cup was, Marley? Um, I don't know. Do, is it not what Fergal said? Was it seventy six? Oh, did he say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, seventy-six. Well, where did you get that I know insight this one. and information? I know this one. <laughs> um, See, I'm... I I listen to the host. This is what I do. Right? Um, You're just there drinking your brew and your your mouldy sprouts, eating your sprouts. Uh, I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to back Newcastle. I'm not going to back Arsenal because you know that would just be absurd. I'm I'm actually going to go against Arsenal. I think City are going to win, but I, I, I fancy Newcastle. I fancy Newcastle. There's got to be a little bit of positivity uh, for Steve Bruce. Cheer him up for Christmas. Um, speaking of the Carabao Cup, our energy drink overlords and the FA have released a joint statement <laughs> saying that the final is going to be moved from February to April uh, on the proviso that the expect that fans might be allowed back in but obviously with um, London entering into tier 4 at the moment Jim that means that Wembley could potentially be be removed as the venue and, and the EFL and the Carabao sorry the FA and the and Carabao have said that they're open to moving it to a different area of the con- country to allow fans to return now as it stands any team that's still in the competition are not allowed to host it because it would have to be a neutral venue. Given the fact that it could be moved away from the home of English football, where do you think it could go? Where would you like to see the final being played? I mean, there's some great stadiums around the UK, isn't there? So there's plenty of options for it to be played at. Aston Villa, you'd say... There's a potential for them to play it out. I've completely forgotten the name of Aston Villa's Villa Park. Villa Park. <laughs> How could you forget the name? <laughs> you forget the name of Aston Villa's ground. It's named after the team. So Villa it Park would be one. an option. <laughs> um, Old Trafford I don't know whether that would be seen as too much of an advantage to Manchester City but there's plenty of options but how they can make plans 
as to where a game will be played in April, I've got absolutely no idea at the moment. I mean, London's in tier four at the moment. Manchester's been in tier three since June or something like that. We'll probably be in tier 28 by the time we get to April, where we all have to stay inside our own sealed bubbles, actually, <laughs> like literal like, absorbs, that kind of thing, rather than actual like bubbles with people. So, I mean... God knows. I mean, it makes sense in terms of a decision. Let's try and get fans back. And April would feel like we'd all keep our fingers crossed that that was the period of time that we were hoping a little bit of normality was returning to our lives. But it seems like a slightly strange decision when we're already looking at the Euros coming around in uh, in the summer and going, are fans even going to be allowed in the stadiums then? And we've got, at the moment, closed borders between the UK and the rest of Europe. So... Who knows? I mean, it kind of makes sense delaying it to get fans back, but I think it's such a big if that my gut feeling would be just get it played, get it out of the way, let's focus on next season, let's focus on the future of getting fans back rather than worrying about a one-off game. Yeah, I think it's just going to be another one of the stories that's going to roll on into 2021. Gents, we're going to call I think, it... Sorry, can I just jump Go in on, on that? Right, <laughs> if, if the current situation stays as it is now, you know, when you can have 2,000 fans in... And the FA are looking at moving um, moving a game to where the fans are allowed in. If, like, for example, if they played at Villa Park and the the um, the finals between Man City and, let's say, Brentford, just for argument's sake, that means that only fans of Man City and Brentford that live in Birmingham can go because surely you can't have fans travelling from Tier 3 areas or Tier 4 areas to go to the game. So it defeats a point. It doesn't matter where it's played because yeah. you're not going to move the. F- yeah. You're not going to allow fans to travel to of those teams to travel to the game. So you're going to get two thousand neutral fans, which will create an even weirder atmosphere than the one being there because nobody nobody's going to go and watch. You know, if you're a, a, a Aston Villa fan going and watch a match at Villa Park that isn't Villa, and you're watching Arsenal and you've got to choose which team to. It's just a really weird situation, but it's probably not the weirdest thing to happen in 2020, to be honest. But you know, it probably doesn't even make the top top 100. But Jesus, Jim's Brussels sprouts topped that, I suppose. But you know, it's it's one of them things, isn't it? It's 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 almost like a solution that sounds good, but then you think about it, and you think that's absolutely shit. That's a terrible solution. That it's worse than having no fans. You might as well stick a hundred dogs in there and have multi ball system and have. It's, it's weird. Like, it's a strange that, situation. That definitely but, is weird. Yeah, but I'd pay to see it because Newcastle wouldn't be in it anyway. So we'll probably get a touch of the ball if we had a multi-ball system. So you know, it's one of them. So we'll see what they do. But I don't think there's a there's a clear solution to it. <laughs> Incidentally, here's like right, here's a good way to finish today's podcast because you're right. If it's current restrictions, it makes no sense. It makes no sense to play it at a massive stadium if you've only got. 2,000 fans going. I was thinking, why not play it at a small stadium, make it feel a little bit more intimate? So I did a little bit of Googling to find out where, kind of, who'd have a 2,000 seat stadium that they could play it in. There's, there's nothing particularly interesting there. But I have discovered the name of Accrington Stanley's stadium, which holds 5,000 people. Do you have any idea what <laughs> Accrington Stanley's stadium is called? Uh, is it the giant axe or something? Is it something to do with the milk advert? The milk, milk park? No. no? It's called Wham Stadium. Oh, yeah. As in, I, I, wake, wake no me idea. up before you go-go. Well, that's how it's spelled, but I'd love to know if I, I'd love to know why it's called Wham Stadium. There you go. That's how there you're you going to spend your Christmas break, yeah. isn't it? Sprouts, well, I'm someone will do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> At the Sports Social on Twitter, let us know. Why is Accrington Stadium called the Wham Stadium? Has George Michael got a secret sponsorship deal like Elton John had at Watford or something? 
I think, as Marley said, if we find out that that is the case, that George Michael is 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 in deep with Accrington, that will be the ultimate ultimate end to 2020. <laughs> what an absolutely bizarre way to end the podcast! But that is the end of Tuesday's show. Uh, Jim, Marley, thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Great stuff, great stuff. And don't forget, if you are a fan of the podcast, we're available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new one every single day. We are here right the way through the festive period, bringing you all the latest Premier League news. We'll see you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.